Looking to get one back here. Airing it up, Agami, and it is tipped and intercepted. There's still Whoa. time, and they throw it back. Not in. One second, flipping it up. It's a goal. Oh, my goodness, Steslicki. The footwork, the awareness to connect with Barker at the buzzer. A disastrous sequence for the Radicals, and Chicago leads by two. Welcome back. It's Swing Pass. I'm Adam. That's Daniel. We've got Week 5 recap coming up at you next. Memorial Day weekend held just eight games after two straight 12-game slates in Week 3 and Week 4. Week 5 being a little bit slimmer on the overall action, but not on the drama. Starting at the top of the list with the game of the week in Madison at Bree Stevens Field between the Chicago Union and the home team Radicals coming down to the fourth quarter once again between these two border rivals. The Union defense converting nearly 70% of their break opportunities in a big, big road win before they turned around and hosted the first place undefeated Minnesota Windchill yesterday in a key Central Division matchup. The Union coming away with their second win of the weekend, holding the win till to just 12 goals in a 16-12 win at home for the win chill. They improved to 2-1, and one, sit just a half game back of the first place Minnesota team at 3-1, and one, but obviously now holding a key head-to-head win over their rivals. Elsewhere, there was some big results in the East as Philly finally, Got the monkey off of their back this season, holding on for dear life in the fourth quarter for a 20-19 win in Pittsburgh over the Thunderbirds. Big game, James Pollard having another fantastic performance. The Phoenix offense looking good at times, but again, once, once again, I should say, getting shaky in the second half, almost giving the lead back to the Thunderbirds who were just rallying furiously at home. Couldn't quite come away with it, so Philly improves to 1-4. and four. They sit still looking to get into the playoff picture in the East Division. Meanwhile, Pittsburgh falls to 2-2. Two and two. They head on the road next weekend in an all-important game at Madison against the 0-3 Radicals. Elsewhere in the league, just to get some quick updates on scores, on Friday night, Carolina hosted Houston, putting them down 24-11 to for the Flyers to improve to 3-2. Houston headed on the road the next night to face Atlanta, one of the toughest back-to-backs in the league. The Hustle come away with the 20-11 victory in that one. They improved to 4-1, and holding on to first place in the South Division. Houston, meanwhile, drops to 1-4. Their only win this season coming against the Dallas Legion, who are still winless this season, having fallen themselves to interstate rivals Austin. 25-14, Austin improves to 4-2. They hold on to second place in the South Division. Meanwhile, Dallas drops to 0-3, still looking for their first win this season. The only win they've had the past two years was against Tampa Bay in the final weekend of the regular season in 2022. So, Legion really needing something to kind of rally around right uh in the south that again leaves atlanta in first place austin in second place and carolina in third all three teams virtually within a game of each other all exchanging 
a few wins and losses between each other. It figures to go down to the final weekend of the regular season in the South to really determine playoff ordering. What else am I missing here? I think that's all the results. Toronto, Montreal. Toronto, Montreal. I knew I was forgetting our Northern friends. The Rush coming away with the 15-12 to win over Montreal. Their second win of the season against their countrymen. Rush improved to 2-3. and three. Royale fall to 0-3. Oh Rush obviously sitting just outside of the third place picture in the East Division playoff race. Royale, meanwhile, having dropped now two games already to what presumes to be their closest competition this season. Not looking great for their postseason hopes in 2023, but who knows? They're a very young team. It's one of those things where they could find a little bit of confidence in any form or fashion. So if they get a little bit of momentum in a win against Philly or a Boston team that I think they can match up against, mm-hmm. who knows? You know, I think the East has revealed itself to be a bit of a beast we didn't understand this year. Boston and New York still sitting undefeated at the top of it. We'll get into all that later. I think right now we should really put on our plates at the center of our table the game of the week matchup as Chicago again gets just that huge, huge road win against the Radicals. Radicals falling to an unprecedented 0-3. They were already 0-2. That had never happened before. 0-3, though, it there's a I wasn't concerned too much heading into Saturday night because 0-2 having lost both times in the final two seconds of regulation in their first two games didn't seem to bother me too much with this young Madison team. Having had the opportunities that they had on Saturday night, having that home crowd behind them, having gotten more defensive playmaking than they got in their first two games Mm -hmm. and not coming away with it, having their offense regress back into that weird stop and go state that we've seen so much of the past several seasons. Yeah. It's now all of a sudden like, okay, now what happens from here right like what what were your reactions what did what did you see there from Saturday I've been talking this whole time we need to hear from you no you're good you're good I have great recap first of all but uh you hit on everything which is perfect I I yeah Madison is it's frustrating because right when you think that their offense is like actually starting to click and they like they have good playmaking and pretty good balance in the first two weeks just a, a major step back when the D-line performed so well against Chicago. Like, I did not see that game just immediately becoming D-line versus D-line. Like, forget about what they the got a break on the doing. first point. They got yeah, a break I, on the first point. That is exactly what you want at Breeze Stevens I know. Field. Like, they, they had it. Right. They had that Right, because those are, I mean, with, with like, the, the blaring break horn that they play after every <laughs> single break, like – those are the opportunities that really like rally that whole crowd, rally the whole environment. And you feel, I mean, you felt the momentum in the stadium, but both teams were going on these break runs. Like I feel like you guys Mm -hmm. were saying throughout the game, it was a game of runs. And that was absolutely true. Literally from start to finish, it felt like every single time there was one goal scored, like there was just bound to be another goal scored by that same team. And then if it flipped the other way, then it was, it was going to be that direction. But yeah, the O-line consistency, it's its something we've talked about about Madison for the past several years now, really since their 2018 championship. They just, it's never looked the same since then, since they lost that older contingent of veterans. Um, and they've kind of like been slowly working in these new pieces. And while I still think there's good development that has happened, they're just not at the consistency level that we see from the best teams 
in the league and the best teams in the Central, too. Not to say that Chicago's O-line was any better, but it just came down to, like, D-line conversions. And Chicago's D-line was just clicking literally the entire game. And I, I was very impressed with how that young team played in a tough road environment like Madison. Yeah. I, I You know, I think maybe we're assigning a little bit too much fault to Madison, although I, I do think that we will get to that. I think they committed too many unforced errors, particularly in the fourth quarter. They were just yeah. a few, like 60% throws, high release swings right. into the middle of the field, just lollipops for the defense mm-hmm. eat up. And that, that was something that while I expect from young teams is not something that you're really accustomed to seeing from this Madison team that has been traditionally coached so, so well. And I mean, they still show right. so many of those signs, but the the fourth quarter sort of uh, brain farts all of a sudden that the Radicals yeah. now are sort of enduring in a few different close matchups with interdivisional rivals. That's, again, something that I think we're all still adapting to a little bit, but I wanted to get to how Chicago's defense played. You mentioned the counterattack. I wanted to mention their coverages. I I was yeah. so impressed watching the different ways that they mapped out the Radicals' offense. They do like a slow dissolve zone a lot of times. Yeah. They they kind of throw it for a series of 10, 15 throws. You could often hear the sideline counting it out. And then they would uh, scatter into matchup coverage. And at one point, they got a Callahan out of it early in the game. Jake Steslick. Stess Licky, who, by the way, has been uh, maybe the best offseason addition for the union so far. I mean, Andrew Shogren is playing great. Don't get yeah. me wrong. I, I think he's been tremendous. Hats off to him for finally winning in his 38 game. Couldn't be, couldn't be more deserving. Yeah. I think Shogren as like kind of a talisman and somebody who this team can rally around has been fantastic. But like, Stas Slicky's impact on defense, particularly this past weekend, cannot be understated. I mean, he comes away with the Callahan. There was that just... Almost got another one, right? <laughs> the end of third quarter sequence is what I just didn't have words for. Yeah. Much like I did live. I was just sitting was there in the nuts. booth with like this look on my face for like five minutes when Chicago took the attempted buzzer beater. Oh, okay. Madison picked it off. Madison then had the disc with about nine seconds left. So I think, I think what let's all let let's let's break this moment down because while yeah. I think it's I think it's one moment in in a much larger game in which both teams had so many opportunities to sort of seize and it doesn't just boil down to this one piece of drama. It was indicative right. of I think the overall just vibes the the, yeah. the cosmic energy the juju right like. Sure. Chicago's driving at the end of the third quarter. They're up one. It's 15-14. It's, again, been that back-and-forth thing where each team seems to score in two and threes and has a little bit of momentum only for the opponent to seize it all back. Chicago's driving. They get into an attacking position in the attacking half of the field. Alex Agami has the disc and arcs a big OI forehand into the end zone, into coverage, not really much of a chance to it. Madison picks it off in the end zone with nine seconds left. Alex Gravatt, rookie, has to do something with the disc. I think that's one of the things that is discounted about this moment. He can't just eat it. He can't just sit there with it. What happens is, is that teammate Kai DiLorenzo looks at him for a moment. I, I don't know if you watch this in some of the replays. Yeah. There is a moment where they look at each other. Right. DiLorenzo, though, is only... Four yards away, 
from Gravat, who is about a yard yeah. deep in the end zone. And at the moment they make eye contact, they stop making eye contact. Di Lorenzo turns back around and faces upfield, and Gravat floats it to the back of Di Lorenzo. At this point, Steslicki jumps in front of the pass, almost jumps into the end zone for the Callahan, doesn't quite get it, so still has the presence of mind to get out of the end zone, tap it in and establish some form of contact, and then floats the wildest push pass I've ever seen in my life up over Gravat's outstretched hand into the wind tunnel corner of that end zone. Like that was the other just mind mess part of this moment is that the wind had been steadily picking up in that corner throughout the game. In fact, throwers were having to adjust because they kept popping the disc up in that end zone a little too high, and then it would get Mm -hmm. carried away by the wind and pushed. For whatever reason at this specific moment, that didn't happen. The disc was allowed to just have zero RPMs on it. Yeah, it was zero rotation. Little thing. I mean, it's just... My question, you you were at the stadium. Was the fake countdown going on? Is that why the throw went up early? to the end zone? Because in my mind, it was I, like, okay, if the fake countdown was happening, then that throw made sense. And then also Gravat thinking that it was the end of the quarter made sense. So maybe he was just like, like yeah. I, I thought maybe he thought that it was the end of the quarter. I would possible? have to go back. It, it's it's too much in the mesh of liveness for me to separate. Yeah, yeah. It's like it, it's like trying to pull out the number of gunshots or something in a live environment. Like my brain, <laughs> my brain can't separate what it's maybe adding in for drama effect versus what I actually heard live. I just yeah. remember being absolutely stunned at that sequence of events. It was and it was just it, it it was, and I think Lepler brought it up later, and we talked about it briefly, like. This is now what the third cataclysmic event at Breeze Stevens in a moment like that in the past three season- seasons. You have the the week one in twenty twenty one. We're all coming back Minnesota. from pandemic Minnesota game where Madison yep. is up a goal with two seconds left, and then craziness happens. Possibly misadjudication of rules. Possibly some other stuff. But Minnesota gets a turnover and they punch it in. They take it to overtime and they win. Last season, I feel like it was the Cam Brock goal to push Indy to two in a situation where Madison defends that probably nine times out of ten, but they break it down a little bit and allow Brock to get into position, the league's all-time lean goal scorer, and then Saturday night, where it's just like, Again, they, 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 it, it, I think what's so hard and, and like what is producing like a wariness with this Madison team and as somebody who has followed the team for years is that it, it's, it's like activating, right? Like there's so much PTSD. Like they get the first break of the game, right? They score in a break to open the game. That is how the Radicals blueprint went for years. They open with a break. The other team goes, not again, here at Breeze. I have to hear that whistle. And then it's, you know, Seven three at the end of one, and you've got to work against the clock, the crowd, and Madison's possession-based offense for the rest of the three quarters. And it felt right. a little bit like that at the very beginning, but then it changed pretty quickly. Chicago obviously punches back, and then you're kind of into the space of it feels very much like all these other games at Bree Stevens, where it's close, 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 and then radicals pull it out at some point. But instead, mm-hmm. it's like the biggest gut punch imaginable. It's the most like 
how did that happen? There's so many various little errors that had to stack up for that moment to come to pass. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it did. Like you can't like these are moments where you can't say like like it's it's the rookie's responsibility. It kind of was, and it also wasn't given the variety of other factors. And it's like each of these moments is like that. You can't sit here and say like, well, it was schematic. Well, you know, such a player should have done something different. It's like 12 different things were going on and there were two seconds left on the clock. Like brains yeah. don't compute in those moments well. And it's just, <laughs> it just keeps happening for Madison. I know it was, it was chaos. It was just unfortunate that that chaos happened like right at the end of the third going into the final quarter, which was then a two goal deficit, which is just, I think mentally going into that final quarter for Madison, like, you just know you like have to play perfect. Like every single possession matters. And I, I just don't think this team has shown that they're so well equipped to handle that late game pressure at this point. Yeah. There's a goal. Whereas if, if it was like a tie game, then I could have seen like, cause Chicago was making so many mistakes on offense too. It like, it wasn't like they were so well poised to handle that late game pressure, but yeah, just the way, the way things fell in the third quarter. I don't know. I I still I still view these teams as pretty close, but I think we're we're still seeing the inconsistencies that have plagued Madison for the past few seasons. All five of these top teams in the Central appear to be relative matches for each other. It's just yeah. again going to come down to who's available, who's healthy, and who's performing best in the particular matchup. And right now, kind of looks right. like Chicago at least this week. Uh, yeah. You know, it looks like Indy coming out of last week, having beaten Chicago and Madison in back-to-back weekends. Like, it's mm-hmm. it's going to be this rock-paper-scissors thing, I feel like, the entire year for the Central, where depending on matchups, depending on who's hot, it, it that's what's going to come down to. And to your point about the difference between it being a one-goal game, a two-goal game, or a tie game, I mean... In particular, for this Radicals offense, I feel like that makes all of the difference. And you could see that on Saturday night when they're allowed to play a little bit up tempo, a little bit looser when they have their confidence yeah, and they're yeah. fast breaking. They can engage those huck looks, get Gumby out in the open, let him go get. Yeah. Like they look good, but when they're forced to run patient, discipline, half field set, grind out a drive, that's when all of a sudden on the 20th throw, they're looping a swing pass that they shouldn't. Or taking a look cross field and having it be an 80% throw. And it's just, again, right. it's a hallmark for the young team, but it's like, you can't do that this year in the central. Like the, the margins for error are way, way, way too slim. And you could just see like, and, and getting into Sunday's game, like Chicago kind of carried the momentum out of that third quarter buzzer beater through the fourth quarter of Saturday's game and into the opening quarter of Sunday against Minnesota when they got off to that, what was it, 4-0-5-0 lead on the windshield? Yeah, I mean, I think it was 4-0-5-1. Four, four yeah, they and just it was, came out firing. And it was sort of the same approach as they had for the Radicals, where it was like, we're going to scheme you a couple different ways on defense. You're not going to be able to settle. We'll throw a zone. We'll throw a matchup. We'll, we'll switch between the two, even midpoint. You won't quite know what we're looking for. So you can maybe take it easy for a couple passes and then, oh, we're tightening up in the matchup. You know, like Chicago, I think, does that kind of rope tightening, taking out the slack almost yep. better than any team. Where, And you could see mm-hmm. them do that against the Radicals a couple of times where the Radicals thought they could play catch a little too long. And then all of a sudden Chicago's matching up and it caught the Radicals off guard. And suddenly there's a person in the lane or something where yep. they shouldn't. 
they did that against the windshield too, where the windshield, I think, coming off of their win against the mechanics, they weren't quite prepared for that level of sharpness against the Union defense, and Chicago exploited them. And I think that's that's the Chicago to expect this year, right? Like they're not going to have that front runner talent that they've had the past couple of seasons, but. As we've talked about a few times, the thing that made Chicago so successful obviously owed to their talent, but it was that back end. It was that ethic. It was kind of the D-line coded DNA of like next Mm -hmm. man up, like our rookies are going to perform well. We're going to get, you know, a a block a game out of John Jones whenever he's active. Like they always have this ability to sort of elevate the level of their players. You see it this year with Stess Licky. You see it with some of their newer additions. Rookie Alex Agami looks great. And it's like in that first game against Indy, they it wasn't there. It was like over-reliance on Arters. Arters with like 40 right. touches and responsible for taking them all downfield. And it's like this weekend, it was like those big guys for them, Arters, Shanahan, Shogren, they were great. They were super yeah, solid. Very solid. on Saturday night had 50-plus touches with one turnover. Like he was just so good in his debut of the 2023 season. Like those yep. players were solid, but like the the playmaking was once again like kind of the the other guys, the the people that were still acclimating to in kind of their first few games with this union team. And I think that's that's gonna be where they're gonna be most successful. When they're just getting like Arters taking his opportunities when he can, doing his his just perfect forehand throws through the zone when he can, but not being forced to, and actually right. doing much of the work through the kind of other pieces. Yeah. No, I, I think the, the Chicago offense to me, I I guess we've seen like how, how it can function in like a really good, efficient way. I do think Sam Kaminsky is a big part of that because mm-hmm. I, just having another thrower in the backfield that has been there and is like very comfortable with the disc and having 40 to 50 touch games, that's just so much more helpful for the overall structure where you can release Arters downfield a little bit more. I think their offense is still like they've got a ways to go though. Like if their yeah. defense continues playing at this level and their offense like slowly improves throughout the season, obviously like they're still trying to fill this Pobble void. Like it's not going to be something that they come in week one and just immediately have no issues offensively. I, I still think they're going to need to work out these kinks for a while, but the fact that their D line is clicking so early and like you said, their defensive scheme, I, I just did not expect them to to feel like such a complete unit this early in the season with so many rookies and new pieces. And no golf, no golf, and no, like golf, yeah, no golf this off weekend. The game too. Time, he said that he would have played if it was a playoff game, but he was kind of like a healthy scratch. Just he has back issues. Yeah. He's a big guy. He's in his thirties. Like back issues. I, I'm over six feet. I've got back issues. You know, <laughs> yeah, it's, it, a it's all those things. And like, so there's they're resting him of precaution, and we. I remember going into the booth with Brian and Evan on Saturday night and saying, man, that golf decision feels pretty heavy in this kind of game. <laughs> right. And yet the defense didn't need golf. That's for sure. They looked really solid. They looked like I they were able to got, over Madison. They've got like a, an overall mentality of like, and it kind of, kind of stems from this like collapsed zone vibe that they go for where they they're switching demand. But even when they switch the person defense later in the point, they're all like of a pretty switchy mindset and like very aware of the poaching opportunities when they come, which is of course led by Jace Brunner, who had that huge poach against Madison in the fourth quarter. I think he had another poach or two against Minnesota, but he like, I just feel like he is kind of the, the ideal defender for this system that is kind of relying on those 
those guys to just like jump lanes and make plays uh, and earn the disc back. So I uh, huge props to the union defense. I think that was my main takeaway from this weekend. Like from all the games is that the union defense is legit. Yeah. One other name I want to shout out from that unit, Ben priest who had, I think like five games, seven games for DC back in 2017, 2018 as an 18 year old hasn't played in the UDL since he looked great leading the counterattack and just being like an energy piece on their D-line. They scored yeah. a key fourth quarter break to push the lead, I think, to three or four. And he just had like this spike in this moment of just like high-fiving each individual member of the union as he was going to the <laughs> sideline where it's like, yeah. they've just, they, they, you know, they, they, they're not the same. Again, we're going to keep repeating this. This is not the same union team, but all of a sudden you start to see, okay, here's where that player is stepping up into that role. They've got this energy piece here. You know, they're, they're, they're getting there. Like, I think we've yeah. maybe been a little too expectant of the culture to rebound some of the, the talent losses and personnel losses that Chicago has sustained. But, you know, talking with their head coach, Dave Woods, he's, he said going into each of the past three seasons, he's experienced basically a 33% to 40% roster turnover. And the, that tracks. Like, going into 2021, yeah. there was all of that new talent coming in going into 2022 there was the questions about the interchange of some of the talent some of the losses and some of the newer pieces and again in 2023 it's happening and so I think we need to keep in mind that this Chicago team while having kind of a central identity around some of its players has had so much shift over the past two to three seasons for sure yeah Asher Lance by the way another name that has not been active for the defense he's dealing with injuries So the fact that this defense hasn't even reached its ceiling potentially uh, should scare other central division teams. Yeah, they look tough. I know I kind of had some written words about Minnesota, maybe having uh, a little bit of, I think, authority in claiming the best defense title now that Madison's experiencing a bit of a trough in their performance. Mm -hmm. Excuse me. It's looking like Chicago might actually be taking that top spot this season. If they're going to keep playing like this, I mean, Indy didn't look great against this defense either, particularly in the second half. That's like true. It seemed like once the Union started to get up to speed a little bit in their first game of 2023, they were able to do some things to contain a very solid Indy offensive attack. But let's move on to the last game we kind of wanted to talk in depth about the Philly Phoenix defeating the Pittsburgh Thunderbirds 20-19, to claiming the Commonwealth Cup for their own after the Thunderbirds have held on to it since 2021, I believe, was the last time these two teams met. Yes. Did they meet last? Yeah, they, no, didn't, they meet didn't meet last, last year. Yeah. So Philly claims the Commonwealth Cup. They also get their first win of the season, finally getting on the board after so many close defeats the past several weeks. It looked like, again, like they might might choke it away here in the second half as they had a considerable lead. I think at one point it was like 13-8. If not, it was, uh, it was 16, sort of 16 to 10, like towards the end of the third quarter. And then Pittsburgh had like two scores to make it 16, 12, and then kind of just kept the momentum going into the fourth. It was, yeah. it was by the skin of their teeth that Philly escaped this one, but they, they do it. And again, it's, it's kind of in cobblestone. I feel like at times the Philly defense looks so good, particularly when they were kind of carving out that lead, they were, able to contain Max Shepard in the deep attack, which ended up exploding during uh, Pittsburgh's rally in the fourth quarter. But right. at, for a majority of the game, the Philly defense seemed like they could match up downfield with the T-Birds. It was just sort of something about 
them catching lightning in a bottle in the fourth and Max kind of finally breaking free in deep space that Philly just had mm-hmm. containment issues. But by and large, I think the past couple of weeks, it's, it's been revealed that Philly's defensive game planning, it continues to get better. I think they scout their opponents really well. It seems like they're often able to take away either the first or second option that opponents want to run against them and that teams can sort of work into looks against Philly, but that Philly does a very good job of knowing what to approach each matchup with. Yeah, no, I think that's a good way to put it. I think Philly played a a good game overall. Like, I just think they, they played a rough fourth quarter, but I will give them credit. They had like a pretty critical, I mean, the critical clock killing drive after like a very shaky offensive fourth quarter they had to complete a good amount of passes to to kill off the final minute and a half of clock so like they did put it together when it counted Sean Mott I thought played a great game like you mentioned before James Pollard just continues to to raise the explosiveness of that offense he he got hand blocked at one point and and you'd think that like that like on a on a huge hug it was like a big wind up hand block you'd think that might like throw him off his game a little bit but he just like maintains aggressiveness like throughout the game, regardless of the game situation. Actually, on the last drive, he had the opportunity to shoot deep on what what could have been an open huck look, but wisely looked it off, continued to to go with the clock killing uh, vibe of the offense on that possession. So I, I was just impressed with his play and like the kind of the situational awareness of that team as a whole. I think Philly at this point to me, I I still view them as like kind of an outside chance for that third playoff spot based on the four losses and based on the fact that they almost dropped this one again, but there's no denying that they can play with any opponent still needing to remind ourselves that they played New York and DC to one goal games each. So they just, they continue to be like just a huge anomaly for me in the league. Yeah. And I think they still need kind of that, that flag post win, right? Like these yeah. these close results against DC, the the better luck next time against New York. Like that was that <laughs> right. was sort of the expectations we had for Philly last season. Like this year, yeah. there was sort of the mantle being carried of this is the third best team in the East. And I think talent wise, you know, results wise, they they've proven that. But how you actually do that is in the wins and loss column. And right now, sitting at one and four, it's just. It's hard. Like you say, they keep having these moments, too, where they, they look like they're up, like against Boston, where they, yeah. they get up several goals and then something happens. And like that. Yeah. It was so that, similar. Because it was right. like those and, like short, those short field turnovers <laughs> that just result in like, oh, my God, I, I, in like 10 seconds. I had the whole Twin Peaks thing of like, it's happening. Like when I was <laughs> right. watching it live in the fourth quarter, we were in the booth in uh Breeze Stevens, and we were all just kind of nudging each other during the broadcast, being like, no, <laughs> Philly was up six. Like, this, no, no, come on, I Philly, come on. I, like, I, like, stopped, I stopped watching the game, like, I don't know, halfway through the third quarter, and I was like, okay, like, Philly has this. Like, this is what we expected. They, they should roll through Pittsburgh. But, yeah, I, I said this on the on the preview episode last week. I do think there is something to Pittsburgh playing at home where they, they, like, oh, yeah. they like playing at Highmark Stadium in particular. I, I think they... They do have a, a pretty significant home field advantage when it comes to like uh, road road versus home performance. I would say, yeah. Well, they'll need to show a lot in the road next weekend at Bree Stevens on Sunday as they get set to face the radicals. That's going to be 
Huge, huge. I mean, radical zone four. I I can't even. We'll we'll get to it later. <laughs> yeah. We'll get to it later. And and just already kind of uh, getting ahead of ourselves a little bit here. We'll be w- wrapping up this week five recap here today. But we'll actually be back in two days, kind of doing a first month check in for the 2023 season. After five weeks of play, we'll be rounding into the month of June, really getting into the midsummer action of the calendar. But we wanted to kind of reflect on our thoughts, both about players and teams, as to where the season stands so far, give you maybe some ballots about offseason awards, just just a general smorgasbord of 2023 oversight. Yeah. So expect that on Wednesday. We'll check in with you then. Thank you so much for tuning in on your holiday here with us. Go enjoy some grills. Go enjoy some tosses we were talking about on the last episode. We'll catch you next time. It's Swing Pass. See you around.